0: The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from us here at O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by Chris Dow, a big old vegan pie, and Minty Booth, a small vegan pie chaser. (laughs) And we love video games. announcements announcement before we dive back into our new regular format we just want to point you in the direction of our lovely website if you want to see our video content read our excellently articulate thoughts and that and find out how you uh, t- <laughs> and find out how you can support us through our patreon page and other ways head over to o 3 cgames find out read watch and learn all about those things
1: <laughs> it's time to tap in with the HyperX QuadCast S microphone. The stunning HyperX QuadCast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting, a convenient tap-to-mute sensor, and four selectable polar patterns. So we can broadcast crystal clear audio, whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the quad squad and tap in today with the HyperX QuadCast S microphone.
0: So uh, we're back. We've had a couple of weeks off over the festive period. Hopefully, you, you enjoyed our Christmas special and our wrap up of the year that was 2021.
1: <laughs> that's that's it. That's right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you never know, do you? These days, and we're back to hopefully keep the ball rolling on our new format for this series, which is our addenda, where we are picking games that we've played in the last couple of years to retroactively. Crowbar into our top 100 favourite video games of all time what can I say but excited I guess in a way to find out what your games are but before we do that let us reflect on what we played over the Christmas period because uh, it's a time to put your feet up and chill out and do some things that bring you enjoyment if you you can. What am I saying? Not scripted this part. No, no, gave me away. I was able to find a little bit of time. I was able to find a little bit of time to play some games uh, in amongst just experiencing the, the wonder of Christmas through the eyes of my one-year-old daughter. Um, just having the most wonderful time. It was, oh, 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 those Christmas days. But I'm not going to start because I've just been talking for the last uh, time. Jesus. Minty, what did you play for Christmas?
2: Ah. Uh. I'm really sorry, everybody. Oh no! I've just been playing Digimon this past two weeks. Solid Digimon, solid spreadsheets. So I had the best intentions to play something else. I really did. I even bought a game. I bought Shin Megami Tensei V.
0: SMTV Live. SMTV Live. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going
2: to. I'm going to complete Digimon Cyber Sleuth Hacker's Memory and then i'm going to shelve it for a little while before i do my my big 100% playthrough so i can actually play something different but that 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 plan was dependent on me actually uh, taking the game away when we went to visit my parents for the christmas break which i did not do
1: oh you wally
2: yeah oh Prize plonker mm. is, is 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 how i feel at the moment so i did bring forward my big completionist playthrough of uh of the game forward just a slice just a slice and then i thought to myself well what what does it mean to actually complete this game because you've got all the digimon that you can evolve but then you've also got you've got this fellow at the top of uh, at the top of the uh at the top of the tower who collects digimon medals you get them from beating other Digimon, but there's also like a good seven or eight hundred that you that you get for the Digimon that aren't in the game that you just get randomly. And I don't know whether I want to actually get all of those medals as well as just get all the Digimon themselves. Oh. I probably will, because <laughs> the way you get the medals that you can't get Digimon for in the game... You just get them from like a vending machine. Vending machine, that's it. And now that I've got my bin box, I can just set up a turbo button and leave it going all <laughs> night. Yeah, I have actually done that. I think maybe three or four hours, which has put me up to a nice, plump, and healthy thirty-five percent on the uh, on the medal completion side. And I've got maybe eighty-five percent of the Digimon Field Guide completed. So I think I'm on good pace. I would say, but I think I'm probably just going to beat the game with every obtainable Digimon and not all the medals, because otherwise...
0: You're never going to get anything else done. I I need
2: something else to talk about in this segment of the podcast. (laughs) So like I said, uh, I, I went back to visit my family over the Christmas period, which was... Really, really lovely. I took back my switch and the dock so we could play some uh, some fun party games on the telly that everybody could see. We didn't get to play Overcooked, which is a shame, but I did play a good amount of all the Jackbox stuff. Oh yeah. It's good fun. It's always good when you play it with funny people and everybody in my family is funny in their own way. So. Yeah, it was really great enjoying such things as uh, Fibbage and Quiplash. They're the highlights.
1: They are the highlights. Yeah,
2: I've got the Party Pack 3, which has the the T-shirt one. Yes. Didn't take any screenshots this time, but... There were some corkers. It was just really nice
0: to play. I feel like I've been missing out not experiencing these games. They're really good. The t-shirt one,
1: don't put this on the podcast, Jonathan. I'm asking you in advance.
0: (laughs) The the t-shirt one, you basically,
1: you just put in loads of phrases and then people draw loads of pictures. And then you just see if you can match up funny combinations out of the pool. And one year playing with Sarah and Tom and a few other people, I'd drawn a big like wanking penis and spent ages like coloring it in, in <laughs> as much detail as I could. And one of Tom's phrases was just fuck tug <laughs> 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 in- independent of my drawing. And I have that printed on a t-shirt cause you can order them from Jackbox. Oh, brilliant. So it's, it's, It's not a T-shirt I wear very often. (laughs) But after this show, I will go and take a photo of it for you two. (laughs) Please
0: do. Please do. That's definitely going in the episode. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to
1: WhatsApp a quick photo of uh, some former
2: ones so you can get an idea of uh, what the game is like, Jonathan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant my god this could get that could get wild yeah oh yeah yeah I mean
2: you're only limited by your sensibilities yeah so you know
0: so it sounds like you had a wonderful time oh yeah yeah of course I mean I inevitably played an awful lot of The Binding of Isaac. I'm just slowly taking off all of the completion marks, exploring the many and varied mechanics of the tainted characters, which is, I mean, it's just an awful lot of fun. I'm constantly baffled at how many different ways there are of playing the game. Like it takes a while to get your head around some of these new characters because like often you have to you have to like override your autopiloting and go against your better instincts to make the most out of like these new characters' abilities. So for example, there's a tainted version of Samson who comes complete with an ability called Berserk, which basically sends you into a state of extreme rage and power for about three seconds where your speed goes through the roof your tear rate goes through the roof and your uh, like your attack power goes through the roof but and you get a little berserk meter above your head that, that runs down for about three seconds but the thing is you can keep your meter topped up by killing more enemies so it's really within your interest to as soon as you hit peak berserk you just charge through as many rooms as you can and plowing through as many enemies as you can before the meter runs out and then you sort of maximize its use. And it's massively counterintuitive with the more strategic way of tackling flaws that, you know, I I usually do. But it's also a lot of fun <laughs> so yeah been doing a lot more of that and also I'm, I'm i'm gearing up to do a lot more co-op runs with minty in this new year of 2022 um i'm very excited to do that and uh, i think that's going to be a lot of fun but in a bid to make it appear like i hadn't plowed another 500 hours into the game over the christmas period i did sample a few other games that have been on my list for a little while. The first of these was a delightful-looking game called Chicory, A Colourful Tale. Oh, I've seen pictures of that. It's pretty, isn't it? Yeah, lovely-looking game. And you take control of of a little dog with a paintbrush, and he's charged with colouring in your world, which has uh, mysteriously turned to black and white. I mean, at its heart, it's essentially... A puzzle adventure game with you using the different painting techniques that you you know you have and you learn to solve different puzzles slowly color the world back in and strangely it's also got proper action boss fights in the game which is shakes things up a bit in terms of gameplay centrally though it's got a really good story and a message at the heart of the game which is is really affecting as as well it's uh really challenging the notion of like not feeling like you're enough and the role creativity plays in our lives. However, for me, I had an incredibly unpleasant time playing it. And that's down to two things that I am. One of which is uh, colourblind. Uh, <laughs> the other <laughs> of which is uh, having obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, I've spoken before in passing about colouring in app game that I have on my phone called Happy Colour, yes. which is just... It's a wonderful way of just focusing my mind, calming my senses down, and you just tap, you know, different paint-by-number sections of different pictures to bring the images to life in full colour. And there's something very satisfying about the precision of seeing the areas filling up perfectly with colour, nice and neat, staying in the lines, creating something, you know, quite specific and definitive at the end. Unfortunately, that approach doesn't mix with uh, the approach that you need to take in chicory which is just a bit messier and creative and that is absolutely key to the message of the game and also in how you solve the puzzles and the other gameplay mechanics at play. But couple that with the fact that I also didn't know what fucking colours I was using <laughs> meant that it, it was just a really horrible experience, oh. which is, is is quite gutting because I really want to enjoy it and experience it and, uh, you know, there's there's so much wonderful things at play in the game and I desperately wanted, <laughs> like, a, so, a bit more of a sedate, meditative, relaxing game to play in between Isaac runs. So, yeah, I was really gutted. And there's there's no amount of, like, colour blindness accessibility. It would detract so much from the style of the game, if you were to, to have that, to identify the colours. And, and the thing is, like, identifying the colours themselves doesn't matter. You can pay anything, any colour you want. It doesn't matter. But I just... I just started getting a bit confused as to which colours I was painting with and it just, oh, it just, yeah, it wasn't, It's very sadly, it's not for me. But fortunately, I didn't, Need to look far for an alternative, because I also had another game downloaded on my switch, which is a game called toem a photo adventure oh. and that is a delightful little game whereby you take the form of a small photographer exploring an island with a series of different areas, gently solving puzzles by way of taking photos of the things that you see like animals and creatures, or shifty characters and secret artwork and you fill in your photo album with these quaint images and you show the photos to characters in the games to, to help solve solve these little puzzles and these little missions. And it's entirely in black and white. Uh, <laughs> so not only uh, did it look absolutely gorgeous on the OLED display on the, the Switch OLED model, but it also didn't trigger my colour blindness in the way that Chiguri did. And I must say that Toem is up there with the most enjoyable sort of chamber piece games I've played it it gave me a a similar feeling to A Short Hike Mm. which is another lovely little exploration game yeah I love that game and Toem's got this lovely art style which looks like always looks like doodles on a piece of paper Uh, quite simplistic but that all comes to life when you realise that it's in a 3D space and you can pan the camera around uh, to help spot things and then uh, you view everything in first person when you take your pictures I had no problem just going through it, 100%ing it. It only took me about four hours to do that, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's beautiful, whimsical, constantly delightful. It's exactly what I wanted Chicory to be, and I know that Chicory will be that for a lot of people, so I definitely would encourage people to play that as well. And if you do, please let me know how you get on with it so that I can enjoy it vicariously through your non-disabled eyes. <laughs> the uh, The final game that I've... Well, I've only just started playing it. Uh, there's another game that I've had downloaded on my Switch for a while. And that's Death's Door. And it's an indie game that I've been very excited to play. It got fantastic reviews when it came out on the Xbox. And it remained a console exclusive for a little bit. So I thought oh, I might have to wait and play it on my Steam Deck. And then that got delayed. But then Death's Door came out on everything else anyway. So yeah, I thought that'd be a, that'd be a nice fit uh, for the Switch. It's uh, an action-adventure game. Souls like game. It's got a lovely art style. It's presented in this like isometric world similar to something like Hades and it's uh, really good. Uh, I mean <laughs> so, so far uh, I mean I haven't got massively far and I haven't seen anything massively innovative. Uh, it doesn't feel quite as good to play as something like Hades and you know the world and the lore don't draw me in as much as something like Dark Souls but yeah it is it is only early days Uh, but it's definitely a solid game and uh, and I want to I want to play more of it so I'll keep you updated with my progress of that and back to Binding of Isaac. Chris!
1: (laughs) Well... Contrary to your uh, picks, Jonathan, you've been playing recently, everything I played was old. You know, <laughs> no, nothing new, nothing that came out in the last year, nothing came out the last five or ten years, to be honest. Firstly, my my favourite Evercade discovery of the last month or so that I beat over the Christmas break is a game called Mappy Kids. Oh. It was an NES platformer that never left Japan. Uh, it was localised here for the first time on one of these Evercade collections, which was, you know, quite exciting in itself. And... The original Mappy is like a simple arcade maze game, like a bit like Pac-Man because it's by Namco as well. But it's like a platform game as opposed to a top-down kind of labyrinth thing. But Mappy Kids is totally different. Like it's a more straightforward left-to-right platform game. And it's bouncy and it's colourful and it's got a nice soundtrack. But similar to when I got really into Balloon Kid on the Game Boy during Um, the first lockdown... It just has something about its feel that immediately puts it above most platforms of the era. And that is really exciting to me to like play a retro thing that I've never seen before, but really grabs me for some reason. Because I mean, platform games might be the best and like most represented genre, certainly for the late 80s and 90s. Oh God, yeah. And so it really takes something special to elevate a game outside of just being fine or, or like serviceable for an evening. But it's just Mappy Kids has got like a certain character to it. Like it's not too challenging. It's not too easy. So it avoids that kind of NES hard branding that a lot of games of that era carried. Or short, as they're also known. (laughs) Yeah, they're often short (laughs) too. I mean, it's got charming little mini games in between stages. It's got a sweet kind of overarching story that has you collecting different items to create like a lovely scene that in turn will grant you the happy or sad ending when the credits wrap. It's got a cool twist that the game revolves around collecting currency more than anything else. Which you then use to purchase the items for that little scene. So any damage or, or deaths takes away your cash as well as your health, and that means that you you play in a slightly different way, and it makes exploration a much bigger part of the experience because you want to find little alternative routes to, you know, help out your bank balance, which in turn helps your party scene grow, and you know you get a little tree swing here or some flowers there. And the mini games as well will give you a chance to to boost your, you know, boost your coffers or, or on failure will present the nightmare scenario where your wallet is pickpocketed or one of your scene items gets taken away. And it's all really low stakes and it's really simple and it's really old. But I played through the whole thing in, in kind of like a, a two hour sitting and just loved the feeling of the whole thing. Like a, a real treat, something quite, you know, not different because it is essentially just a 2D platformer, but better than so much of what was around at that time. I, I did really enjoy it. The second thing, the second old thing, is the arcade racing game GTI Club, and and I think this may be a late entry for one of my favorite discoveries of the year. Oh, wow. I, I played this game's home port on the PS3, uh, which has sadly been delisted quite some time ago, so if anyone wants to try it out, emulation or some creative firmware adaptations are your best <laughs> bet if anyone wants to play it, but it's really, really fun. It's an arcade racer. It was ported by Sumo Digital. I think in the timeline of their port work, this is a bit later than OutRun 2, but none of the care that was in that title has been lost in this conversion either for GTI Club. So it it looks really great. It feels great to play. Um, I assume it really captures the core of the original arcade experience, but I've never played this on a real arcade machine before, so I can't really say if that is truly present and correct. Now, the thing that shows that I really enjoyed this, on the day I started playing the game, I did a few races, set the pad down, went and did something else, and then came back and played it for eight hours straight. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I can't tell you the last time I did this with any game, like in the last year. I can't remember enjoying something for that long a single period of time. And when you add in the caveat that the game has three tracks, like Sega Rally style, it makes the time sunk all the more remarkable because it's, it's, a, it's a really simple racing game. Like you, you pick a hatchback, so you've got like a VW Golf, you've got a Mini Cooper, you've got a Renault something or other. And then the bit that makes it exciting is you you have these tracks that are essentially like all set on the same little open world and you need to navigate different routes through it. Similar to, I guess, like how Sonic R has its like bundles of, of different options for how you get through a stage, but that's it. So you're, you're playing, you're trying to find the best optimum route. You're, you're trying to maximize your, your lap, t- lap times and everything else, but there's nothing else to it, but it's just, it's so enjoyable. And as a way of like keeping me going it has obviously like the trophies connected to it on the playstation and some of them were super tough yet every time i felt i'd hit a bit of a wall i'd have another try and then i'd I'd find that i shaved a, a couple of seconds off my lap or i'd learn how to take a corner properly or i'd mastered a, a tricky section and i just i just couldn't stop until it was done i really couldn't stop like i finished all the trophies which involved Things like beating the final track with a really low lap time, uh, some of them were, were to do with like winning a certain number of hard circuit races with different vehicles, some involved uh, winning without taking collision damage, like all sorts of things that make it a little bit more challenging. And I, I gleefully did the whole thing, like I said, in, in a day, just sat down and didn't, didn't leave until I was done. As a little treat at the end as well, and this is why it really pushes it into the top tier... When you beat the hard circuit, it then allows you to reskin any of the cars in the game as an Alsatian dog on wheels. Absolutely <laughs> and, outstanding. And I think that's such a core tenant of, of good arcade games. Like it's the reason that <laughs> Cruising Blast is so enjoyable too. Yeah. It's like when you're just getting bored of the cars, it's like have a stegosaurus. <laughs> just, it's it's on us. Enjoy it. <laughs> and, and and the dog in this game, it's like instead of having an engine noise, it just pants constantly. And when other cars hit you, it does a little bark instead of a horn. Like it's it's really funny. And that stuff is it's just it's I love it. Yeah, it's it's all these things. It's why arcade races, I think, can be so much fun, even when they are very limited experiences. So, you know, I've put so many hours into virtual racing, into Sega Rally, into OutRun, they're all great, but I genuinely think. I can stick GTI Club in there as well. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it's probably not going to make this revised list, but it could. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you never know. Ask me in a few weeks and we'll see. The only other thing I've played, and I won't bore you too much with this one, I got through all of uh, Luminez Supernova, again on the PS3, because it's been hooked up. It's still the best puzzle game in the world that isn't Tetris. It, <laughs> it still gets my adrenaline going for the entire play session like nothing else. I'm still not a huge fan of its puzzle mode, like I said when I when I talked about it on my list. But I'm just so enamored with the regular challenge and time trial modes in Lumines that I, I don't care. It's just, <laughs> it's just I, I love it so much as as an experience that it's it's just such a different way of playing a puzzle game that I I don't get any of the calm I get from Tetris. It really is just like being on the edge of a precipice for the entire time you're playing because the speed you have to go at it. But yeah, it's it's a joy. But yeah, Lumines is life, and I. I'm done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, here's the main course. Our next three games that we're going to retroactively fit into our top 100 favourite video games of all time lists. And to kick us off, as we do, it's Minty Booth.
2: Minty Booth. All right. (laughs) Here we go. All right. So, I've come to realise that if you come into a podcast episode with the name of a game in the title, you should expect to have that game reasonably spoiled for you (laughs) over the years we've recorded i've always said such things as oh i don't want to reveal too much of the story play it for yourself but now i realize that if it's been years and you've not played it you probably aren't going to and if you are you're probably going to skip said relevantly titled podcast episode That's just something I'm going to avail myself of in later weeks, though, because today I'm talking about a game that has next to nothing resembling a plot, story, (laughs) or any kind of meaningful setting. It's utterly unspoilable, short of making a replicable and easily accessible uh, tool-assisted speedrun, but you can't even do that because every level is randomised. I know I've got a reputation for liking molasses-thick narratives in games, bloated JRPGs and menus that you can stand a spoon in, but... (laughs) In the same way that uh, a sliver of pickled ginger can cleanse the palate in a decadent sushi meal, (coughs) fun little puzzle games like uh, Minesweeper Genius have their own place in the grand banquet of gaming and can prove themselves to be just as delicious as any entree. (laughs) It's Minesweeper. You, You play a weird little guy with a broom who works at some sort of lab where all the mines have been just scattered on the floor and are also invisible every level you play has one safe route to the exit so i guess you're not sweeping up any mines at all you're just sweeping around them <laughs> for fuck's sake well this is bullshit i wish i'd not enjoyed it as much as i did now ah uh, but semiotics aside it's a lovely lovely play it's got that nice sort of um restrained blobby aesthetic which I like. Yeah, no, that's a, like a cloud. No, that's <laughs> a bad way of describing it. Uh-huh. It's like there, there's no outlines, you know? It looks like it's made out of bits of coloured paper. It's gentle to look at. It's easy to learn. I guess in a way it's more like Picross, mm. the minesweeper. The grid has the, num- the number clues along the edges of the grid to let you know where the mines are. You've got to guide your little weird lad through to the exit without hitting any other the mines.
0: Isn't the little weird lad you... control? Is it... Isn't that Albert Einstein...
2: No, it's meant to be Aristotle, but... My bad.
0: I always get those well, two mixed up. It doesn't matter.
2: Like, he does nothing He's y he, he sweeps. <laughs> Did Aristotle ever sweep? <laughs> I, I couldn't. I couldn't say. He, he just sat in a big old marble house and said things. I bet. I don't know the first thing Probably. about him. Anywho, as you progress through the worlds, cunningly named World A through to World M, you get introduced to, uh, to new little special tiles, which sort of... I guess they'll fling you this way and that. They'll shift parts of the map hither and thither, and gently ramp up the difficulty as you progress. For our Christmas special, we gently touched briefly on games that either take too long to introduce new mechanics or just batter you with them <laughs> right out of the gate. Yeah. I'm thrilled to say that Mind Super Genius nails that difficulty curve. It gives you a, a new mechanic very sparingly, lets you get to grips with it, and then if you if you fancy it, Once you beat the the world that that mechanic was introduced in, it'll open up a little set of master levels, which you can try before moving on to the next world, if you fancy, and therefore the next mechanic. Later worlds combine the new mechanics, leaving you to fend for yourself on a Technicolor dance floor that threatens to blow you up if you put a foot wrong. It's great fun. It's really easy to figure out, and the difficulty builds almost imperceptibly. My mum was considering getting a switch for such things as brain teasers and stuff that keeps the mind alive, and all that good stuff so i let her play a few levels of this and she told me she enjoyed it so that's that <laughs> a couple of extra points there i reckon the best thing about the game though is once you complete it you can make your own levels not in a i'm gonna put a mine here and a mine here i hope i don't find them <laughs> way. but you get a, you, like you get a menu full of sliders to customize the size of the map the number of mines the number of each special tile and therefore the difficulty I've completed this game 100%, and it's really nice to think that even if no more new levels come out, it doesn't really matter because I can just I can just make my own infinitely. Am I feeling particularly particularly brainy today? And yeah, stick all the sliders up to the top. If not, well, just take a few down and just gently ease back into it. It's lovely. It's really really nice. But let's uh, let's place it into the let's place it into the list. Better than Turok. I mean, it's not better than Turok, I've got to say. (laughs) But then again, I don't think many things are until I decide I'm going to place it higher. But as I was looking through my list, there was one game that I thought, why the fuck is that in there? (laughs) So... I'm putting Minesweeper Genius at number 88 and just discarding Pokemon Rumble.
0: <laughs> I was glad when you mentioned Pokemon Rumble because I, really I really enjoyed that game, but, but there's a reason it wasn't in my list.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a fun game. It's, it's enjoyable, but is it top 100 games I've ever played enjoyable?
0: No. Nope. I'll say this much. It's not Minesweeper Genius, which I would say, for what it does, is a perfect game. Oh, yeah. It is so so good i remember playing it at the time and when i finished it saying that oh i only got to world m i reckon there's almost certainly going to be additional content coming to take this to world Z, that never came no no and that's a shame because i think it's perfect it knows what it sets
2: out to do and it does it and that's all you can really ask
0: if it had continued to release level packs i mean you know the way i play games i devour them with the ferocity of a <laughs> sun about to explode and cons- implode and consume a black, black hole. Yeah, that's the one. So, unless a game has either something to make me come back and play it again or something that keeps me playing it, games that I spend little time with generally don't take up much space in my head. And I think Mind Super Genius is one of those because my enjoyment with it and my appreciation of it are as much as so many other games that are in my list. But I think without those things pulling me back in to play it again, it didn't make the list for me, which is which feels feels unfair because it is perfect. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> hey, um, it's it's made a list, so... Yeah, there we go. If the developers are listening to this, uh, don't take that as a seal of disapproval. It is very much a seal of approval. I don't think Chris played it, but it's a two-thirds majority here. Please make more levels, make another game. Thank you. Do it. So... My third amendment comes in the form of a brilliant little indie game that I found called Superliminal. Oh, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Oh, my next line doesn't... Well, You pissed all over my next line there, Chris. You may remember (laughs) me talking about this when I first played it, or you may have spotted it on the eShop or another digital storefront, but it's essentially a first-person puzzle game that plays with the idea of perspective in an incredibly smart way. Now, I compared it to Portal when I first played it, because it gives you a a similar sensation playing it, uh, where where your brain has to all of a sudden think in about a a billion new ways. uh, And that's so exciting and so fun to explore. So, I mean, the general principle Superliminal works with is that you have no depth perception so something close to you looks bigger than something far away and depending on how you pick up move and manipulate objects and elements in the game you can change their size and relative scale to its surroundings. It's a difficult concept to describe uh, as it is such a visual idea but imagine if you pick up an apple from a table and hold it in front of you and you turn to look out of a window into a field while still holding the apple in front of you. The apple could now be perceived as being in the field, far away, and absolutely fucking massive. <laughs> and then when you drop the apple, it is now that size in that place. Now, that's the core principle. And throughout the game, it takes this idea and stretches it and contorts it and adds in so many other delightfully brain-bending mechanics... That it just constantly keeps you thinking, keeps you on your toes and keeps surprising you. And crucially, it never outstays its welcome. Like when it's done with an idea, it either evolves it or adds something else in. And when it's done with that, it changes. And when it's done enough, it ends. (laughs) I mean, it's a game that, well, similar to Mind Super Genius. It's a game I can't really spoil, not because, I mean, I... (sighs) There's a story and there's some amazing stuff in it that could be spoiled, but I just don't know how to articulate any of the stuff that happens. Like, I I haven't read a walkthrough of the game, but I imagine it must be damn near indecipherable out of context. (laughs) I mean, it's not an expensive game. It's also not terribly long, but it's such a brilliant brain stretch that... No other game I've played gave me. It's absolutely excellent. I mean, clearly it stuck with me. Weirdly, I was just saying about you know Minesweeper Genius. I probably didn't spend much longer with Superliminal than I did with Minesweeper Genius, and I've only played it once as well. But it's uh, it really had an impact on me in the way that you could describe Minesweeper Genius as Minesweeper plus Picross equals Minesweeper Genius. Superliminal is similar-ish to Portal, but so, man, something. You it just, it's, yeah, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing, nothing else close to replicating the way this game makes you think. I mean, I can't wait to see what the developers do next. I mean, they haven't been idle with this game, they've offered some updates. Recently, I think, well, oh, I know recently, they've added a co op mode. And I was like, oh, cool, a co op mode. Hang on. How does that work? Because perspective is is a fixed thing, depending on where you are positioned. And if there's two people looking at something, you can't necessarily manipulate its position. And and my brain is a... B- d- d- uh, <laughs> um, oh, Blamond's boy. Oh, I just... I've no idea how it works. But I really want to find out because... Things like the principles of quantum mechanics are a real interest to me. I cannot think of another way of exploring some of these concepts that will resonate and connect with me as much as in this game. So many of these concepts are so hard to describe as I've clearly just proven. So I've no idea how you conceive of, of uh, one, how you conceive of some of the ideas that are at play in this game, and two, then how you execute them. Uh, and then to blow it as wide open as, as doing it in co-op and potentially just, You know, expanding that exponentially to the point where I turn inside out. Sure. Goodness me. Goodness me. Perhaps. You know, we said this, Mincy, with Portal 2, that we should do that co-op. Because we did a bit of it, didn't we? Uh, Yeah, we did the first few levels, yes. We should do that and do a first-person puzzle co-op double bill with Superliminal. Ooh. Big day. So where does it go on my list? I think placing it comes back to you that first point about how it's comparable to Portal. Now, the original Portal wasn't on my list because, in my mind, it was superseded by Portal 2, which is just extraordinary. And I think that Superliminal is on a par with the original Portal, but because of how much and how well the concepts were explored and developed in Portal 2, I don't think Superliminal can compete with that game Although, if they've really nailed the co op mode, then it could rank this game even higher, perhaps. I don't know. Or if, yeah, the developers were to take some of these core principles and put it into a banging narrative and have Steven Merchant be brilliant in it, then yeah, it could certainly rival (laughs) Portal 2. So for now, I'm just going to place it just below Portal 2, which was initially at number 87 in my list. And, uh,. Yeah, I think it's going to going to land just just below that and uh well we'll see where they all end up after all this shuffling and um depending on who's looking at it and from where it could be could be anywhere.
1: What gets kicked? What's gone off the bin?
0: Oh fuck, I didn't even think about that. Uh right, let's have a look. This
1: is important. Oh, this is big news.
0: It is, yeah, yeah it is. Um I ended up getting rid of two games last time, didn't I? Yeah, cuz you've shoved in backspace as well. I did. Yeah, I got rid of Lemmings and Clockwork Knight 2. Both fair drops <laughs> yeah i think i'm going to have to get rid of i oh, it pains me to do this but yeah but it is i'm going to get rid of dragon warrior monsters and the reason is that pokemon gold is better than <laughs> yeah any other any other game in that in that genre of uh monster and mups It's better than any other Pokemon game. It's better than Dragon Warrior Monsters. Uh, So yeah, Dragon Warrior Monsters is gone. Goodbye. Hello. Super liminal. Well done. Welcome. Uh, Bonjour. Chris, close (laughs) us off with your addenda.
1: I I think that sometimes games need a little bit of time to find their place in your own head. And what I mean by that is if I had played, for instance, Res right back when I first picked it up and then tried to make a top 100 list the next day, there is no way it would have ranked in the number one spot. Just no chance at all. Because it's one of those games that I needed to learn. It's a game that I needed to kind of sit with and think about. And, and it's a game that over the years I've... I just carried on coming back to and picking apart and understanding its context a bit differently, understanding its message and its feel and everything else. It just takes a bit of time. And so today, I'm going to talk about a game that I've already brought up in our honourable mentions. But here, it's going to enter the fray to take its place on the big one because it's, it's had that time. I've had a bit more more space. I played Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors way back across the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita for the first time. And that was maybe a year or so before we started writing our lists. And I think I'd known of it a little bit before that, because it wasn't a brand new game at that point, but I hadn't played it. And then when I did play it, I didn't play it enough for it to get the nod in the 100. I could tell it was a good game, but it didn't mean anything to me at that point. But since then, you know, since the time we've been doing this show, I've played it quite a lot. Like, I, I dug into the Vita port a fair amount. I bought all the DLC for the PS4 version, so I've played it there quite a lot. More recently, I've rebought it for the Switch in a slightly altered package called Darius Burst, another Chronicle EX Plus, one of those real mouthfuls. They like to stick on Japanese shoot-em-ups. <laughs> like, it is just a shoot-em-up or a shmup, if you like to use truncated terminology. But it is also one of the very best in its genre, and I think it's incredibly welcoming to and enjoyable for newcomers due to just the overwhelming amount of things to do in the game that generally you don't have in, in arcade shooters. The classic arcade shooters' main barrier to entry for most people when it gets moved to a home console is that traditionally these are games in a genre that are meant to be maybe six or seven stages long and that's it. And, you know, if you abuse the infinite credits that likely come to the home port, you can finish most arcade shooter maps in 30 minutes tops. So those who fall in love with the genre do so because they enjoy the challenge of, clearing a game with with fewer credits or fewer lives, and then chasing high scores. You know, it's like a skill challenge. But those who bounce off the genre, totally understandably, do so because there's a perceived lack of variety in content. Now, I don't think either camp is wrong, but Darius Burst really sets down its flag and says, well, wait, what if there were just a few thousand stage variations in our game? Or what if we, what if we had branching routes through the regular arcade mode, so it was worth coming back to? Or what if we added DLC packs to let you play as different ships and and crafts from other games that play and control wildly differently? Like if most shooters feel a bit bare bones, Darius Burst is just a wealth of content and riches. And then on top of that, there's the other stuff that makes it stand out. Like I mentioned I think when we did the Honorable Mentions, it's got this insane ultra-wide presentation. So it's a 32 by nine, remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, And it makes everything feel so incredibly cinematic and and genuinely awe-inspiring at times. Like, it's not super high-res, the stuff going on. It's not cutting-edge graphically. But it puts me in mind of, um, you know, the iconic scene in in the original Old Boy with the side-on corridor hammer fight? Oh, yeah. Like, there's something about that scene that I get similar vibes with Darius Burst because you're constantly being presented with enemies and obstacles on screen long before you can realistically tackle them. So in the same way in that scene, it's like you can see way beyond kind of the scope of what you normally get in a fight scene. You, you've got that for every single fight you're having in space. And it's just really great. But even then, for those that find that presentation a bit awkward, you know, maybe you're playing on a TV where that's not really appropriate to have that much letterboxing. You're even covered there, provided you're playing the initial Chronicle Saviors release on the PS4 or Vita or, or Steam because it had a, a mode called the CS mode where everything was retooled and reworked and about a billion stages were included for just regular widescreen presentation, which again, totally changed the feel of the game, but still made it a really good up. As much as it's a little sad that that mode doesn't make the cut in, like I said, the switch port we got recently, they did add 50 other thousand levels on top as well. So there's still a good <laughs> amount of new content that was added in exchange. So basically whichever way you try and play the game, you're not going to be left wanting for things to shoot and do. It's also one of the best soundtracks in arcade gaming, I think. Just incredibly varied stuff, a huge range as well, that goes from, you know, power metal to weird electronica to ambient industrial noise to off-kilter dance to horribly mischarged pop. Like, I really love it because it's just, you really don't know what you're going to get on the, the kind of roulette spin every stage. It is a game that's not going to be for everyone, and, and I do get that. And as much as I say it's a very welcoming modern shooter up if you don't enjoy reflex-based games or score-chasing games, you're still likely going to be put off. But I do honestly see this as perhaps the best modern gateway to the genre for someone who's maybe had a passing interest, but always been put off by their perceived linearity of shooters or by the incredibly high skill barrier that comes with some of the genres best. Now, looking over my list and considering some of the other titles on there, and especially some of the other shoot maps that I've already included... I still think there's value in something like Bomberade and its meat and potatoes approach to the vertical (laughs) shooter. Like, (laughs) Darius Burst, as welcoming as it is, still asks for a certain level of base understanding of its genre trappings and how this form is meant to be played. It can still be really hard to sink your teeth into if you've not done a bit of pre-reading homework kind of thing. Whereas Bomberade is immediately readable, it's understandable, gun goes bang, bomb goes boom, there's no other controls. Like Bomberade <laughs> is going to stay where it is for now in number 100, it's not moving. It's also, Darius Burst is, is mechanically better and deeper than Parodius and Fantastic Journey. But it's not going to seat itself anywhere near as highly on my list because those games carry like a character to them that I still prefer. You know, just something about the same reason I mentioned really loving mappy kids today. It, it just like clicks in your brain. Something really appeals. And despite how much I love the overall presentation feel of Darius Burst, you know, we've got to remember these are our, our favorite games, not objectively best games. So, you know, there's always this kind of wiggle room to say this is not better, but I do, I do prefer it. And so I think I'm going to have to hoof this mammoth title just below Desert Golfing. And, and boot out Xenoblade Chronicles X from my list Aww. because that is a game that I love but the more I've thought about it over the last few years the things I love about it are all the things that I love more in Breath of the Wild uh, you yeah. know I, I didn't finish the story in, in Xenoblade Chronicles I, I primarily played it to run about and collect stuff and you can do a lot of that in Breath of the Wild, <laughs> like that that sense of like a place and running about. I think is much much better in Zelda. Yeah. So yeah, that's that that's why it gets knocked off the list. I still would love a port to the Switch, please. Uh, you know, bring that over, please, Monolith. But for the time being, um, it's gone. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's it's interesting doing the list this way because all of our lists are now in this weird kind of flux right now, owing to the fact that we're reactively revising and revisiting our lists. Yeah. Whereas first time around, the the hundred was set in stone before we said a single word to one another. And this time it's all a bit more syrupy (laughs) because, you know, we're making our cases to ourselves as well as to one another in real time. And and that's quite exciting. So it's like, it's making these decisions and thinking, you know, it's it's like, it's like binning off your children, isn't it? <laughs> Deciding who you like the least. Uh. <laughs> You've only got one, Jonathan, you don't have to choose. It's fine. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> In the future though, if you get to the point of having a hundred, you will have to start knocking some off the
0: top. I'll just, I'll just paint them all as Dalmatians and give them to Cruella Deville. Easy solution. Easy solution.
1: But I mean, Darius Burst, I think, Darius Burst is absolutely a game worthy of, of my list though. And, I've had the time now, basically a good five years of on and off play to move this out of the games I enjoyed, Paul, and into the games I've loved, Hall of Fame. And if nothing else, it gets a real strong recommendation to say that if people want to get into shoot 'em ups I think this is the place to start. If you want to, you know, have a go at a modern arcade shooter and see if you enjoy it, I think this is the best way to do it. So yeah, Darius Burst, Chronicle Saviors, in at whatever number that ends up being.
0: (laughs) So, there we go. Those are the three games that are now in our lists. You can't deny it. First of all, we had... Mind Sweeper Genius. And then we had... Super Liminal. And then... Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors. Ugh, how wonderful. What a selection. Play them. Tell us about them. Why not? You can find us on social media. We're on pretty much everything at O3C Games. Or you can go to our website, o 3 cgames and you can find links to all our social media channels there and you can also find details on how you can support us if you want to do that o 3 cgame support links to our patreon page loads of perks available for various pledging tiers so much brilliant stuff and uh yeah just reach out to us chat to us tell us what you're playing ask us questions you might like us to answer in a future episode take us to task on our opinions tell me what chicory is like that'd be nice you can do that on an individual basis as well. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next time for our fourth amendment rights. Now, I need to know what the amendments are. And I can make some witty jokes for our American friends. I can't be bothered. Don't need their approval that much. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not true. I need it. <laughs> I need it to live. Oh, uh, God. And now,
1: a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor.
2: SequelCast2 and Friends looks at movies and video games in franchises, one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt Bradley-Shergie, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, have been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast
1: Network. Previously on Chat of the Wild. But what we have to do is there are these seeds in these little holes that we have to put specific water on mm-hmm. to make them grow up. And we get the Mario uh, sound effect for the vines going up. Yes. Like, it's, what, what exactly is the sound effect for Mario that they use?
2: <laughs> Can you guys just do that simultaneously again? <laughs>
1: Thanks. Chat of the Wild breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time, Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network.
0: The O3C Podcast is part of the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX is our sponsor and the maker of the acclaimed Quadcast and Quadcast S microphones. Quadcast USB mics look and sound amazing, and they're packed with features. With four selectable polar patterns, you'll get great sound no matter what you're recording. The included shock mount and pop filter mean you won't have to shell out extra cash for a great setup. Then there's the eye-catching LED indicator and tap-to-mute sensor so you can tap in and tap out to stop broadcast accidents. It's time for you to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast and Quadcast S.